Amen. Good morning. It is good to be up here. Uh, last weekend, uh, Sunday, was uh, Danielle and I's anniversary, our 23rd anniversary. She has a very large halo coming to her in heaven. She has uh, put up with a lot, and, uh, and so I'm grateful for that. So we were supposed to have Sunday as like a sweetie pie day after she was gone in, in California. Um, and then I was going to go out and see the baby in a month or two. But my son-in-law, who's a Marine, he got orders to help or go on a training uh, detail. And so uh, we said, well, if Jaime's going to be away from the apartment, we might as well get Lily back home with us. And so, uh, so we just took right care of that. And so Lily and Liam crashed our anniversary celebration, and uh, which is we're okay with it. And uh, so they leave Tuesday, and uh, it's just been uh, newborns are really awesome, right? Like, uh, yeah, a little bit of crying, and not just the baby lately. So, um, but uh, they'll, they'll put you to work. But uh, he's so precious. Um, wanted to thank, uh, just mention that my brother preached last week. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed hearing a good word from him. He is an amazing brother, and uh, he's my favorite brother, uh, <laughs> my only brother. <laughs> and uh, no, he's been a youth pastor for a long time, and, and um, he's just doing a great job. And, and so I heard some good feedback from that, so you'll be hearing, hearing him again in the future. There's another special guest uh, here today. And uh, raise your hand, Grandma Beaver. Are you back there? I see you. That is Danielle's grandmother. And so that means that she is Lily's great-grandmother and Lily Liam's great-great-grandmother. So we have five generations here today, which is pretty, pretty amazing. So uh, it's all new records for our family. Uh, my parents' first great-baby, her first great-great, and, of course, my first, you know, grandson. Anyways. I turn 43 tomorrow, which is, like, very strange to, like, have a grandson cruise in the neighborhood with me. I, I came back to the house, and I'm like, most people think this is my kid. Like, uh, but anyways, five generations here. Our last series was, was real special to me. I like every single one of them, and, um, but the feedback I got from that series was so good about uh, Summer at the Movies, which we just used as an excuse to play movie trailers that would tie into these different roles of what it means to be a Christ follower. And what I've seen over the years in ministry, most of the time as a youth pastor, and uh, as 10 years there, and then now five years leading a church as a pastor, is I see a genuine desire as the light comes on in people's hearts and in their souls that they truly decide and want to follow Jesus. And there is... There's nothing greater than that moment as a, as a minister. And, and what you all need to uh, realize is that God just doesn't want the pastors to see those moments. We are all designed to share our faith and to lead other people to a knowledge of Jesus Christ as Savior. And when you're sharing your faith with people, and if you keep making that a regular practice, at some point and at other points, you're going to see the light come on inside somebody's soul. And it is just the best thing that ever happens. And sometimes it's someone that's been away from God for a long time. And, in, and other times it, it's someone who's never known the love of God. And we've seen it all happen here so far. But my experience also shows me this. At first I thought maybe it was just young people. But then as I work with older people, which shouldn't be a surprise because it's been part of my life story too. 
is that there's this tension that comes with following Jesus. And not long after the high of saying yes to Jesus, you begin to miss or think that you miss the things of the world around you. And so I would watch kids try to live life on two different tracks. Has that been a part of your life story? It's been a part of my story. And so you would see this great moment of someone coming to Jesus, and I've seen kids and, and adults come out of the waters of baptism, which we're going to do again on our birthday party, uh, September 16th. We're going to have the, the baptismals ready. We're, uh, Bill and I are going to have it ready to go, right, Bill? <laughs> Appreciate him, our resident plumber and sound man. And, um, but we want to see people come out of that water. But what happens is, is then all too often people go off the rails. And they have this moment with God, and they've had this real thing, and then they get pulled right back into the world uh, that's around them. What's the problem? Was the moment not genuine that they came to the Lord? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. The problem is, Jesus speaks to this. He says that his disciples are in the world, but not of the world. This series is called Alien Nation, and we want to answer the question, how do we follow Jesus in the world we live in? Does that sound useful to you? It should, because it's, it's, it's very easy to be very upbeat about your faith here on Sunday morning, and then you get to Monday, Tuesday, or just Sunday afternoon, and how does this work in real life? And you feel the tension, and you feel like you're, you're trying to, part of you is trying to divert this way and, and go the other way. So how do we follow Jesus in the world we live in? I can tell you the first time that I felt like an alien. It was middle school, seventh grade, and we all felt like aliens, right? We all were aliens. Uh, my son's voice is finally, I think, settled into man mode, and, and so you can talk to him today, and he sounds like this. And, and uh, which is pretty cool. And so we're all going through that, that, that time period of life. Sorry, son, embarrass you publicly. But I had an extra gear to this. Within the year before that, uh, we had changed uh, churches to this church, and also I had changed schools. Uh, my parents said, I don't know how they afforded to send us to uh, Christian school as long as they did. But first through sixth grade, I went to a little school called the Columbus Christian School. doesn't exist anymore. And, and as they were just trying to survive or whatever, they just kept, they kept having to raise their rates. And finally, basically, the consensus was we've, we've got to do something different. And so I showed up at public school. Well, let me tell you something. That was – it should be different than Christian school, and I've known plenty of kids <laughs> – times in Christian school. The kids aren't that much different. But at that age, most of my culture, most of my friendships were either from church, because we've always had church be a big part of our lives, or they were at from school. And so I knew I had kids that I played with in the neighborhood, but it was just, you know, riding bikes or something. It wasn't that big of a deal. I go walk in in the middle school, and it didn't take me too long to feel like huh, I don't feel like I fit in here, right? 
how do you feel when you're the odd man out? It's terrifying, right? It can be embarrassing. It can be upsetting, all different sorts of feelings. Sometimes this can happen where you have a group that you're comfortable with, and then you come back to that same group, and you don't feel, you feel like the odd person out. Those are really tough days. Danielle and I got married young, which is part of how I'm a grandfather at 42, if I haven't stated that enough. <laughs> but we were the first ones in our little friend group married, and all of a sudden it was like, all of a sudden we were weird, like weirder than usual. And, and, uh, and so, and then, you know, so friends start getting married. Well, then we started having kids, and it's like I've, I'm married and have a kid, and my buddy still can play video games all night. I tried to keep up with him, and I couldn't do it. I drove a forklift some days on no sleep. Not very smart. <laughs> but how do you feel when you're left out of something? Or how do you feel when one group continues this way, and then you circle back and you regroup, and you think there's going to be some sort of happy reunion? And some, some of these groups you do. You pick, right off, you pick right up where you left off. And those are really special people. But sometimes you show up these kind of things and you're like, I, this isn't me anymore. Jesus knew that this would be a tension for us to manage. Do you know how he knew that? Because he didn't fit in the world that he came to. And he had the most extreme case of it. He at least came and put on our same outfit called our human body. But that's it. He was God in the flesh. Nothing else was the same. How everybody else treated each other, how everybody's default setting of being selfish or, or being reserved or whatever else, everybody else was different than him. And oh, by the way, as soon as he started speaking truth, then the people that that truth upset began to hate the person speaking the truth hating him so much that they would accuse him of blasphemy and demand that he be sent to a cross. Listen to these uh, couple verses in Luke. This isn't our primary text, but I, I want you to hear this from his own words. Luke 12, 51 through 53. He says this, Do you think I have come to bring peace on earth? No, I have come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart, three in favor of me and two against, or two in favor and three against. Father will be divided against son and son against uh, father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Now, the in-law in stuff we pretty much take for granted, right? Like, I'm just kidding. I've got great in-laws, you know. Um, I do. But what's this? Jesus? Red letters here? Do you think I've come to bring peace to the earth? What's he talking about here? Don't you remember the Christmas story or either from Charlie Brown or, or from whatever else? And, and you have the little baby Jesus and, and the angels say something like, Peace on earth, good will towards men. You guys like the Charlie Brown Christmas special, too. Great job. 
Where's the disconnect? As Ricky Bobby eloquently said, I like my Jesus to be the little seven-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus sitting there in a manger. I want the cute little cuddly Jesus that looks, you know, maybe like Liam. I don't know. We're created in his image. It's not a stretch. But I want the peace on earth, sweet little baby Jesus. What's this different thing? What's this adult Jesus talking about? Well, Jesus knew it would be a tension to manage. He did bring peace on earth. But the catch is, is that peace has to be accepted by each of us individually. And that peace is going to happen in your soul and in my soul. Because there's enmity between us and him because of this divide, this chasm called sin that we can't cross by ourselves. But here's what happens. As soon as we accept his peace, there's peace in here, there's peace on earth, but all of a sudden, I am different from anybody around me that has not accepted the peace of Christ yet. You see that? Jesus knew that this would be a tension to manage, and so before he ascended uh, to heaven before the cross, before he would die, raise again, and ascend to heaven, he prayed for us. And many people call this the real Lord's Prayer. Why? Because in Matthew, he's teaching us how to pray, where it's our Father who art in heaven. And somebody left me a wonderful note that said, Adam, can we please say the Lord's Prayer together sometimes at church? We're going to. We're going to do that next week with communion, I promise you. But that's how it says at the beginning of that phrase where he taught that, he said, this is how you should pray. This is how you pray. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for us. And to put this into perspective, this is within hours of his arrest. And then conviction, crucifixion. Okay, so he's at the end. And so this this little bit of of the Bible, there's these few chapters here in John. And also there's different. uh, It's explained differently and and written differently in Matthew, Mark and Luke. These are called the final discourses. Well, that's a that's a fancy phrase. What's that mean? It means somebody knows they're about to leave the planet and they're giving their final instructions and their final things. So you could picture somebody that you love that's elderly, maybe on their deathbed, and they're giving their final words of love, encouragement, instructions to the people behind them. These are Jesus's final words. And he takes part of that time to pray for his disciples then, and as you're going to hear, to pray for you and me today. Is that cool? Uh, Let's go to John chapter 17. And I'm going to be reading uh, verses 13 through 30, uh, 13 through 50. No, I'm just kidding. 13 through 25. Somebody's like, I got to go. John chapter 17, starting verse 13. He is praying to God, his father. Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world 
just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I have given myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. Stay with me. Verse 20. I am praying. You want to know that Jesus prayed for you specifically right here? Verse 20. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Thank you, Jesus. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. God loves us that way? Oh, my goodness. Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. O righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do, and these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. Wow, and there's 12 verses before that. And this is, this is one of those chapters that you just can spend some time in and watch how Jesus prayed on his followers' behalf, which includes you and me today. He knew this would be a tension to manage. He says, I'm sending them into this world. Well, when we encounter the message of Jesus, we're already in the world. What changes? Because of that change in us, inside of us, we become different from everybody else that hasn't yet accepted the love of Jesus. And some people are going to be okay with you as long as you don't push your faith on them. Some people are going to think it's cute that you're religious. Some people are going to think it's nice that you're a do-gooder. Some people are going to think, you got your way, I got mine, we're cool. We're all getting to the same way in our own way, or same place in our own way. Doesn't work that way. But what Jesus is specifically stating, he said, the world is going to hate you as they hated me. And if you want to feel like an alien, be surrounded by people that don't like you. <laughs> and maybe, maybe, maybe you're just privileged. You've never experienced that. But it's not great. And there's times where I've just felt uncomfortable where I all of a sudden feel like I'm by myself in a situation. It doesn't happen very often. But Jesus knew what we needed to stay on track as we experience that tension. Because here's what happens. As that tension surfaces in different ways, as you feel the tug of the world on you and the tug of heaven on you, and different things seem more attractive at different times, it's easy to become distracted and it's easy to go off the rails. Jesus knew that we needed four things, and they're in that prayer, and we're going to go into them. Here's the four. We're not doing all four today. We're going to do the first one. Joy, 
unity, purity, and purpose. So that's what we're doing these four weeks. And, and I think that God is going to take us to a place in our understanding that if we can keep these things healthy, we can stay on track. And part of our walk and our faith walk is that you'll have times where you feel something pull you away. Sometimes it's something that's completely um, normal, like uh, having a baby or getting married or a new job or, or who knows what, a, a, a severe illness or, or who knows, a football season. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that was funnier than that. God. Tough crowd today, yeah. But our life is going to look like we're, none of us are going to perfectly stay on his path for us. It, it, that's not what it looks like. Jesus is the only one that followed the dotted line from start to finish. That He's the only one that has. But our life should hopefully look like, as we will press into Jesus and these truths that he gives us to hold on to, that hopefully the ride is a little less wild, Okay. Hopefully it's the little junior coaster instead of the beast or the millennium or whatever floats your boat at the amusement parks in Ohio. It shouldn't feel like a terror ride as you're flying off the rails here and then putting yourself back together. Those moments will happen, but if you will press into Jesus and his truth, you can smooth some of those mountains out into just crazy hills, okay? Are you with me this morning? Today, we're going to talk about joy. Joy. What? That's a, that's a church word. Let me read verse 13 to you again. Now, I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world, so they would be filled with my joy. We talked about this a little bit in the last series. Joy is something that comes out of contentment, loving what you have. And so joy is something that starts, comes from the inside out, not outside in. What do I mean by that? Well, the world can often mistake joy just for happiness. Oh, isn't that person joyful? I don't know who says that anymore, but like it's like a synonym of, of happy would be how most people would see joy. But here's our problem with happiness is we like to use the phrase of, well, I'm going to marry this person. I love them because they make me happy today. Well, guess what? That same person is going to entirely infuriate you a whole bunch of times, too. And so if you are going into that relationship just based on that person making you happy, you're not going to be very happy. Right? Joy is something that is from the inside out. And so happy is just like our grandson's in town. We use him as a great example. Babies are all about outside coming in. Wham. Something is wrong, right? It, it's, and, and you've got to fix whatever that is to make the little guy happy. And part of adulthood, part of maturity is where we understand that nobody is going to feed us every half hour and just whoo and look at us all the time and tell us how great we are. It's, that's not real life. And so happiness is this very fragile state where everything is perfect coming from the outside in 
And how often does that happen? Not a lot. There's great days. There's happy days where you have more good stuff happening to you than bad. But we don't ever get that perfection of all things coming into us are thumbs up and aces. Well, then I'm not happy. I'm not happy today at church. I'm not happy with my relationship. I'm not happy with my job. Well, okay, maybe some things you, you might need to investigate and do something about, but contentment and joy comes from the inside out, and it's where it says, I'm good with who I am and what I have, and that joy is because Christ becomes our joy. So why do people go off the rails? Uh, you could use um, being d uh, discontent with God, discontent with a relationship like uh, marriage or something like that. A relationship hits the rocks. What happens? What drives that wedge in there? Is because all of a sudden something else makes you happier than what you're in. And so your eyes are somewhere else, and you think, oh, well, I definitely could find a better spouse. I definitely could find a better church. I definitely could find a better job. I definitely could find better kids. That was funny, too. Stay with me, please. You can't tr trade your kids no matter what, and you're not supposed to. Anyway, stay with me. How do we get and keep joy? If joy is linked to contentment, how do we get and keep this? Well, in this, in this little verse, there's two phrases. He says, I told them many things, and then he says, while I was with them. So we have two things here. We have word and we have relationship. Word and relationship. While I was with you, I told you many things. And God is counting on that to be enough to hold his disciples through the unhappy things that will come their way. And oh, by the way, 10 out of the remaining 11 disciples were all martyred within years for their faith. While I was with them, I gave them your word. There's this, we need to know what God's truth is and what he says about us. And while Jesus was teaching out to the multitudes, he was constantly teaching his 12 and the, the ones closest to him, like the immediate 50 and hundreds or whatever else, he was constantly pressing into them the truth and the truth about how God saw each one of them. And so you have these two pieces here. You have word, and you're not going to get that without a relationship. So Jesus is like, while I was with them, we weren't just hanging out, although I'm sure they did plenty of time. There was an exchange of the word of God into their lives that they could hang on to and because it was in the context of that relationship, they knew the person who was speaking the word. And that's what we need to hang on to. That's what we need to hold on to our joy. 
Knowing who God is and what he says will lead to contentment, which gives you joy. Because you can't be joyful if you're not satisfied in your soul. That's, a, that's called a fake smile. Maybe some of you saw a few and gave out a few this morning because you think you have to because you're at church. I don't want us to be that kind of people. Hopefully you've, you build some relationships that are a little bit deeper. And how was your week? Not so good. God is good, but my week was terrible. Could that be this kind? Could we be that kind of place where it's not just good to see you, brother? How you doing, sister? Your dog died. Oh, oh praise God. No. That's phony. We don't want phony around here, and God doesn't want it either. He wants that joy to be a genuine inner peace and satisfaction that can only come with knowing his word inside the context of a relationship. So here's some questions for us today. Will you do what it takes to know God better? We've got a lot on the line here. It's not just about staying on track that's admirable but it shouldn't be a struggle to oh I'm, I'm in this constant tension no as you get to know God it's going to become just how you walk it's going to become the air you breathe it was it was natural for Jesus to follow what he was told to do obviously but he wants the same for us another question Will you spend time with him? One of the most amazing, I'd, I'd say, athletes, people that we have had the, uh, uh, I'd say, the privilege of watching over the last, gosh, at this point, 15, 20 years, I don't know, Michael Phelps, world record swimmer, right? That's like a name, like household name, right? Okay. Thought about this. Watching him swim is just crazy. I'll bet that he could easily swim from one side of the pool to the other and maybe a couple laps without taking an extra breath. What do you think? Does he hold his breath? He does a little bit, that launch, that crazy thing he does when he shoots out from the wall and comes out like a giant dolphin and then starts passing everybody. Yes, I just said Michael Phelps like a giant dolphin. But what do you see inside of his series of strokes as he's moving across the water? He's taking air in, and he's breathing air out. There's something in that for us as believers because for too many of us, we come in here to church on Sunday and we try to hold our breath before we walk out the door and see how long we can hold it and try to get to next Sunday. Right? Because we know that we can't breathe 
like in our soul, we know we don't want to breathe the air out there. And so we can fall for the lie that says, well, this this is it for me. This is the only place where I can get to know God better and spend time with him. And we try to set ourselves up for these mini marathons every week. And, and Sunday should be like an oasis to you. It should be. I, I want it to be. I want it to be a place where where those far from God can encounter him for the first time. We also want it to be a place where those of you that follow Jesus, which is many of you, including me, where there's where part of a Sunday morning is. Ah, refresh me, Lord Jesus, it, that, that is a part of it. But it's not supposed to be a mini marathon every week. God has designed this relationship to be a relationship, not to go through me and and to have to use the church as a middleman. It's not designed to be that way. So what does that look like? This thing will save your life. And I don't care if you have it on your phone or wherever else, but you need this. And however you have to get it, God will help you understand it. And one, one of the things that has always helped me, I was so thankful at a young age, I got a hold of a, a student study Bible, and it had notes in there that considered teenagers, not just Bible scholars, in how it was written. And so all of a sudden, I started having things that helped me understand the words that I was reading. And so that brought more life into me. And we use the New Living Translation here just because I believe it's, I believe it's the easiest to understand uh, for somebody that hasn't grown up reading the Bible. It's today's language, uh, and it's, it's, that's why we use it. We, we teach from it consistently. But guess what? There's, I don't even know the number. There's probably at least 25 translations on the shelf over at Lifeway, and you could probably find hundreds on Amazon. And, and, to, and to read through some samples and say, I get that one. And to find something that, that has some steady notes that makes sense. I've plugged this a bunch of times. Daily Audio Bible has this podcast that every day gives you a chunk of the Bible every day, and you read the whole Bible through in a year. And he teaches it every day. Most days you get a little bit of explanation of, of what was just read and, and how it applies to our life, and it I'm learning from it, and it's wonderful. The Bible. Connect groups. Uh, Mr. Burrell and I will be talking about those here soon. We're working on a new set of groups for you guys to meet at people's house and either focus on a topic or just a, a book of the Bible. Um, my parents lead one here on Tuesday nights. They're going through Genesis right now. There's about 10 people here on Tuesday nights that just have a great time for an hour, and they're digging into the Word of God. Uh, there's going to be a couple others that are going to go on. Uh, we'll start those in September. Not only are you getting the Word, but you're also building relationships. I said podcast, something we do, we try to keep our music updated onto our Spotify account that we put out there. So our playlist for Sunday mornings is out there on Spotify. And if you need help finding that, there's a uh, postcard on your way out, and you can tag a little uh, QR code and take you right to our Spotify playlist. Isn't that cool? But I think some of you maybe get frustrated if we change music too often. We're trying to put in a whole new set of songs over these last few months, but you can come in knowing the music. 
and then let that worship play as you're moving through your week. Knowing who God is and what he says about you is key to you being content. Because when we move through this world, it's very easy for other things and what other people's opinions are of you will, will just be louder at those moments, right? What's it like for a, a high school student to have a great experience and encounter with God and then to walk into public high school the next morning? Very difficult to be strong in their faith at times. Very difficult. And so it's one thing, many of them just stay quiet, but then all too often we start to make exchanges of God's truth for what the world says. And then we're trying to live two different ways. And that tension will be for us to manage as far as how people feel about us, but God does not want tension inside of your soul. He's not set you free so that you could live a life of confusion and trying to live two different lives. That, that's not what he was about. This tension that he knows will come, that he prayed about for you and for me, is from the outside in because people aren't going to understand until the light comes on in their own soul. And guess what? God wants you to be a part of seeing that light come on in the other people around you, at work, in your neighborhood, at school, and whatever. If you have joy, you will be harder to distract. Does that make sense? And that's why it can't just be an uplifting, I want you to feel uplifted when you're here on a Sunday, but like I said, it can't just be go on a high note and hope that lasts you. A joy has to build inside of you because if you're content, it's easier to say no to other things. Can we pray this morning? This is just practical stuff. And, 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 and even when it comes to teaching here on a Sunday morning, I... It's important that we that we hear things that can actually affect the mechanics of our faith and the outcomes of what's going on in our lives. Jesus knew that there would be a tension to manage. He knew that you would feel like a fish out of water even though you're in the same water you were in before you met Jesus. He knew it. He knew it that the same friends that you clicked with before him wouldn't understand some of the, your decisions after choosing to follow Jesus. He knew that there would be this tension to manage. And so he prayed for us. He prayed that we would have joy, that we would have unity, that we would have purity, that we would have purpose. If you've never chosen to follow Jesus, there is this gap between you and God that you can't get across on your own strength. 
You can't do it by being good enough. You can't do it just by showing up at church. You, sh- you can't do it because just because your parents baptized you. You can't do it for any other reason than following Jesus. Jesus taught that he is the only way. He's the truth. He's the life. And that he is our pathway to the Father because it's through his sacrifice that our sins can be forgiven and made right with Father God. If you've never said yes to following Jesus and you're ready to today, would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you. He loves you. Did you hear Jesus pray? He said, you love them as much as you love me? Well, how about this? How's your joy? The Lord showed me this. That's why I'm preaching on it today. I, I was, I've been struggling with this one. I have no good reason for it. How's your joy today? If it's less than filled, then you have less than what God intended for you. You have less than what the cross paid for. And why are we settling for it? How's your joy today? Well, it's a result of choosing to be content and and this glory that God is talking about, that Jesus is praying about. Your joy needs to be Christ. First of all, he's the only one that's never going to fail you. He's going to lead you. If that touches your heart this morning and you want to reach out to heaven and say, God, I'm, I'm not where I should be on this joy thing. I've, I've become discontent. I've become discontent or I've, I've not realized full contentment in you yet and I want to be content with you at the center of my life. Would you raise your hand this morning? God wants to touch you this morning. I see that hand. I see those hands. They're precious. They're precious. God wants you to have this. Father God, I speak your joy to these hearts this morning. God, as we would wrestle with these things on the inside of us, where we would choose to be content with you and all that would come in our life, God, that we would choose to call you our provider and our anchor regardless of the storms around you, around us. God, I thank you that your joy would begin to fill us because it's not dependent on the circumstances around us. It's not dependent on whether it's 100-mile-an-hour winds and the rain is pouring down and the water's rising around us, God, because our joy is something that's from the inside out, not from the outside in. And so, Father God, I pray that you would touch your people today and fill them with your joy. John chapter 17 is all about Jesus loving you and me and making sure that we have what we need. Father God, I thank you for this word this morning. God, I thank you that you care for us, that you didn't leave us to walk alone as aliens, but Father God, that we'd be a nation of believers united under you, you, God, and that our joy would be filled. Amen. We've got a big song to close out this morning. We're going to praise God for who he is inside of us, that he is our joy, 
and that he is our everything today. Amen.